Good morning. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you have a Bible, or if you're using your version, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Uh, I don't know what you're doing on March 4th at 6 o'clock. Uh, maybe you do, but it's a Thursday night. I am taking my wife on a date, and we are coming here to participate with Vertical Worship Band. So if you don't have your tickets yet and you're interested in that Vertical Worship Band, you can go to Youth for Christ website and get your tickets there. I encourage you to be a part of it. It'll be a wonderful evening of worship and learning more about Youth for Christ as well. We're in a series called Eternally Focused Life, and we're asking the question, what does it mean to live in the here and now but not for the here and now? And we've talked about things like shattered dreams and how we all uh, experience those in eternity and, 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 and allowing God to have control in our lives and pain in this life and how do we deal with that and living for an audience of one and treasures. And today I want to talk about a key word and it's focus. If we are created for eternity and yet for a period of time we have to live in reality, so we have to live in the here and now, how does that affect my life here on this earth? What does the Bible say about my life when, when I am here learning to live my life from an eternal perspective? What do we learn? The Bible says that our life is like a, a mist that's on the ground and then, and then by noon it's gone or like this little blip on a screen when you compare it to eternity or a little dot on a rope when you think about eternity that goes on forever and ever. But we also know from the Bible that we're created to glorify God forever which tells us that not only is our time in heaven all about God, but so is our time here on this earth is all about God. It's about the fact that he takes pleasure in us. Isn't that an interesting statement? That God takes pleasure in us. We're here for one simple reason, to glorify God. And that reason should influence our decisions and the way we live and the choices that we make. And again, the word I want us to focus on this morning is focus. What does it mean to focus our lives? Uh, in light of Carson Apolis, I'm going to start calling it. That's Carson Wentz, went to Indianapolis Colts. Um, I want to tell you a football story, even though football's over. Mitch Mustaine, I don't know if you've heard that name or not, uh, was a middle school quarterback in Springdale, Arkansas who attracted the attention of several Division I colleges before he ever took a snap as a varsity player. All because he attended a seven-on-seven -seven tournament in Alabama as an eighth grader. And on, after he got home, all of these colleges started calling him as an eighth grader. It, it was just crazy. In 2005, he won the Parade Player of the Year, Gatorade Player of the Year, USA Today Player of the Year, Army National Player of the Year, which is kind of like the highest one for high school. His record from eighth grade to a senior was 61 and two. In fact, he was so popular that the city of Springdale adopted a day and named it after him as the Mitch Mundane Day. He eventually signed with Arkansas Razorbacks and after sitting out uh, the first part of the first game of his freshman year, he went into the game and he started every game thereafter. And while he was being hailed with the potential to be the greatest player to ever play for the Razorbacks, he was also being demonized by the other side who had their loyalty to this longtime coach who was not a fan of Mitch and the offense that he was bringing out of this high school along with his friends. So there was opposition there. And the weight was incredibly heavy for this untrained freshman quarterback from nowhere, Arkansas. He was the most sought-after high school player in the nation. 
The hate mail was unbelievable, extremely damaging. The opinions of Mitch became so polarized, he opted to transfer to USC. It was there that Mitch got caught up in the LA lifestyle, and for reasons that I don't understand, he became the third string quarterback under Pete Carroll. As time marched on, his focus and interest in football was lessening and lessening. He went on to play arena football, and he tried his, tried his hand at minor league baseball as well. Everything Mitch had ever known was football. He had every well-known sports network attend his high school games, but not only his high school games, they came to his high school practices. His identity was football. There's a TV show about his life, and it's called The Identity Theft of Mitch Mustaine. Matt Barkley, maybe you're familiar with that name, was a QB at USC. He made a video at age eight, and in this video, he went on to share with his grandma in this video that he was going to be the quarterback of USC one day, and sure enough, he was. But it was that article that awakened in Mitch Mustaine, who was there at the same time, what he had been feeling but was never able to put to words. Mitch said, unlike Matt Barkley, it wasn't my dream. He wrestled with the question, why am I not so invested in this? And it caused him to reflect and rewind through his life and ask, what was I meant to be? He just got caught up. I mean, here's this kid, a seventh grader, and all of a sudden he's the best player in the nation. And, and he just kind of went on for the ride. And, and there's a statement about sports, the game will always outlive the athlete. And then the question is asked, and then what? For Mitch Mustaine, all he knew was football. From the time he entered junior high until the time he was in his late 20s, his identity on earth was football. To understand chapter three, where we're at today in Colossians, you first have to understand this phrase, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our true identity cannot be found on this earth. We can always make the choice to live according to a fake identity. But a fake identity is just something we learn to hide behind in, in an attempt to, to feel value and importance and worth. For Mitch Mustaine, may, uh, many would say that his football identity was stolen from bad coaching decisions. But remember what Mitch said, it wasn't my dream, which tells me that he was living someone else's dream. It's really easy for followers of Christ to say, my identity is in Christ. That's, as a believer, in a, right, we say that. My identity is in Christ because it's the right thing to say or, or because it's what the Bible tells us to believe. But practically, practically, in all honesty, often our identity is found in whatever makes us feel and look good. And why is that so important? Because without truly finding our identity in Christ, we're so incredibly empty. And emptiness motivates us to find some kind of false identity that we can hide behind. False identity causes us to do things we don't love, to participate in things that are not our passion, to pretend to like things that we really don't care about. We're following along Colossians 3, verse 1. First of all, I want to talk about live with a single passion. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your heart. That's what I'm talking about for setting your heart on the things above. Chapter 3 begins building the case for practical Christian living that is inseparable from the doctrinal teaching of chapters 1 and 2. There's this pivotal point right here in chapter 3. And how do you live chapter 1 and 2 out? Your position affects your heart and your mind. So what in the world is Paul talking about here? We are obviously not in heaven. In heaven, we'll have this incredible, perfect, wonderful fellowship with God, and we'll be surrounded by God's glory for all eternity. It'll be a much different place than the here and now. So how is it then that we have been raised with Christ, and yet we live in the here and now? How is that possible? What Paul's talking about here in verse 1 is not a physical location. He's talking about a position. Remember, your position will affect your heart. Your position will affect your mind. Paul elsewhere, if you're familiar with some of his writings in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6, he says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. In verse three, he keeps going. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our spiritual nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And then it goes on, it says this, It is by grace you have been saved. And then verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So so we move from a position of being spiritually dead and separated from God from the moment that we are born to a position of being made alive and in company with God. So just think of it like that, in company with God. When we're made alive in Christ, we're raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. It means to be aroused or awakened from death to a new position in Christ, to be placed in company with him. Physically, you are here. Spiritually, you are there. It's no wonder we often feel so homesick. Physically, you are in company with man. Spiritually, you are in company with Christ. I I just want to sit with that for a second. And I invite you to do the same thing. Physically, you are in company with man. Spiritually, you're in company with Christ as a believer. In both passages of Scripture, the one that we're looking at today and this Ephesians passage that I shared, the idea of being raised up means to be aroused or awakened from death to be in company with. Let me explain it this way. Using politics as an example. Did I just get some of your attention? When I use the word politics? We don't talk about politics. Using politics as an example. Oh, that got our attention. Every four years in America, early in November of that year, we elect a president. Just in case you didn't know that. Um, Just two months later, in early January of the next year, the president-elect takes over as president of the United States. Between the election and this inauguration, there's a period of time when the president-elect has already obtained the position of president and yet has not assumed the role of the president. We've already obtained our position in Christ. If 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 you've given your life to the Lord, 
We've already obtained a position in Christ. We now live to prepare us for the time that we'll assume it. Our entire lifetime after we accept Christ is a period of preparation for a position we've already obtained. Now you can see why the word focus is so important. If you are a Christian, you have to know that you're in Christ. You have been raised up with Christ and seated with him. Now imagine a person whose position changed because they gave their life to Jesus. Imagine that to be you. But they go on living as though their purpose has not been affected. So position has been changed, but person, but, but purpose has not been affected. What a major misunderstanding. To be in company with Christ and yet not allow the company of Christ to affect our purpose for living. Because salvation not only changes your position, but also your purpose for living. And when your purpose is affected, suddenly focus takes on a whole new meaning. Again, imagine if a president-elect who has obtained the position of president spent all of his days leading up to the inauguration having nothing or very little, uh, spending very little time or energy focused on his new position that the day that he would assume. What a waste of time. That would never happen. It would be ludicrous. That would be ridiculous. I guarantee you that the president-elect takes advantage of every moment he can preparing for a position he's already obtained. We have to know that our position and that we live our life taking advantage of every day preparing us for this assuming position. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3, the next verse, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The very, the very moment, that instant you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, which, by the way, is the way you're saved. If you're here right now and, and you're not a believer or you're wondering about God, or you're wondering, uh, what is this all about? Listen to what I just said. The very moment you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that very moment that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And at that very moment, you die to sin. Your sin nature put to death. You die to worldly influences and pleasures and ambition. They have no more influence over you because we're dead to those things. Our identity must be found somewhere else. Because we are dead to those things, our identity must be found somewhere else. Not only are we dead to sin, but our life is also hidden with Christ in God. Our eternal life is an invaluable jewel or treasure, which is laid up in Christ with God. Our eternal life offers security. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this. It offers the security and cannot be reached, bothered, or taken away. Our identity can only be found in Jesus. All other identities are fake. When you view and live life knowing your identity is in Christ and that you are secure in him, it frees us. It frees us. Friends, to, to live a life of, of joy and enjoy life, knowing that we don't have to turn to, to things like looks or hobbies or personality or talents or titles for our identity because we, are, we know who we are in Christ. And that's already been decided. 
Set our hearts on the things above. Because our position in Christ is not something we strive for, but it's, been, it's something that's already an accomplished fact. The three words, set your heart, literally means to, to search or to seek after as though you're on this incredible quest. Because your life, when I use that word life, I mean your thoughts, your actions, your words, everything, will follow your heart. It's important for us to get our heart seeking after the things above. It's to have our interests centered on Christ. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Think of it like this. Nicholas Cage in the movie National Treasure, who took a team of people on a treasure hunt, and the treasure they are seeking becomes Man, it becomes their, their entire focus. Their pursuit envelops their entire life. In their quest, you see, them taking, you see them taking risks and striving with all of their energy and resources to find this treasure that they're chasing. They can't stop thinking about it, talking about it, acting upon it. They refuse to allow anyone to get in the way of this treasure. They demonstrate this great diligence and perseverance. And in the end, when they walk into the room and, and they, the room lights up, they know that they did it. They'd found the treasure a treasure that exceeded their wildest imaginations. It was worth it. May the things above constantly be before us. And in the end, when our eyes are opened to the treasure that we spent a lifetime seeking after, we too will stand face to face with a treasure that is beyond our wildest imagination. Scripture uses the word heart not to describe a physical organ that pumps the blood through our bodies. But the word heart describes this unseen will, dreams, desires, and passions. So you could, you could change it a little bit and think of it like this. Set your will above. Set your dreams above. Set your desires above. Set your passions above. Your heart is what drives you. It's what motivates you. When our heart is not set on the things above, it reminds me of that statement. If you have no target, you will hit it every time. And so we have a choice. When it comes down to our identity, we have two choices. We can either become someone we are not, or we can become somebody we already are. Where are you finding your identity? Uh, by the way, a good resource, I didn't mention the first service, but a good resource uh, for that is Victory Over Darkness by Neil Anderson. If you're looking for a book to read and you haven't read that book, that's been around for years. But man, it's a powerful, powerful book. Secondly, live with a single focus. Verse two, he goes on and it says, not only set your hearts on things above, set your mind on the things above. These two statements, they're kind of, they seem similar, uh, but there's a slight difference. To set our heart is a matter of aim. It's a matter of pursuit that we just talked about. But to set our mind it's, it's more of a disposition or an attitude. Not only are we to seek the things above, but we're to set our minds on the things above. What do you find your mind so consumed with? Like right now, I've been preaching for 20 minutes, and for many of us, um, we quickly tune out, and our mind goes somewhere because it's consumed with something. Worries? Fears, anxious thoughts, evil thoughts, 
impurity, plans, all the plans we have. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then verse 2, listen, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. You want to be transformed? You want your life to be different? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. A few weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, Know Your Audience. It was a message about living for the attention of God or living for the attention of man. After the message, a young lady came up to me and said, I really resonated with the message, and sometimes I struggle with wanting the approval of people more than the attention of God. She went on to say, I want to live for God and not worry about the approval of others. How do I do that? And I went on to, to share with her need to remember who we are in Christ and just to rehearse that over and over again. And the more that you understand and remember who you are in Christ, you will desire the approval of people less and less. But I walked away from that conversation and I thought, man, what was I thinking? I blew it. Because sometimes when I preach, I'll preach and, 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 I'll, and I'll share things, but then I just don't, sometimes I don't share, well, okay, that's great. How do I do that? And I can't always give you the how, right? But, but, but sometimes I want to be able to give you the how. So sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't. The challenge here is to set our hearts on the things above, to set our minds on the things above. How do we do that? We set our hearts on the things above by inviting the Holy Spirit to awaken in us. A hunger for the truth. We set our hearts on the things above by deliberately making God a priority. It's Matthew 6, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. We set our hearts on the things above by denying self and taking up a cross. We set our hearts on the things above by dealing with our idols. by making a choice to focus on him. We set our minds on the things above by rehearsing over and over again the gospel. Over and over and over again. Rehearse that God's love for us was demonstrated through the cross. We rehearse who we are in Christ. It might sound something like, I am chosen, The scripture says, I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I have hope, I have an inheritance, I have power, I'm loved, I'm saved by grace. And we rehearse that our only hope is in Christ over and over again, and our mind begins to be transformed. And by rehearsing the truth, we give little to no bandwidth. When you're rehearsing the truth, little to no bandwidth to the lies of the evil one, impure thoughts, anxious thoughts, and so on. So we must get our heart and mind working in tandem so we don't find ourselves knowing the truth but not living in the truth. Wow, how often do I do that? We have to set our hearts and minds on the things above so that we don't find ourselves knowing the truth but not living in the truth. A lot of intake but no output. Think of it like this. 
if your spirit is already in heaven, then your soul, which is your mind, body, and will, will also live heavenly. In the same way that the heavens rule the earth, our spirit rules our life. Romans 8, walk in the spirit. Our spirit rules our life. It is to become practically what you already are spiritually. And so I ask myself these two questions. Where's my heart? Where's my mind? Let me leave you with, with one thing. And it goes like this. Let the words of Jesus, we've all heard this phrase, but let the words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, be the motivation of your heart and mind. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for your word and for, for Paul's words and just the challenge of uh, this life and what it means to live practically according to who we already are in Christ. The position that we already have seated at the right hand of the Father in company with Christ. It's a little bit mind-stretching, mind-blowing. We are here, but we're also there. So that's that, that kingdom taste that we have. Father, I pray uh, for those who are here that have not surrendered their life to you. May this be a day that you awaken in them, that you draw them. And may they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, for the rest of us, we all have walked into this room with our own story, the things that are going on in our life with the pressures, with decisions that need to be made. I pray, Lord, that as we leave here, as we set our hearts and minds on the things above, that you would meet us on that journey, and that we, we would be reminded that we're not abandoned. Lord, that you are with us, that you care for us, that you love us, and that you want to grow us. In Jesus' name, amen.